Good morning. Today is Tuesday, March 29th, 2022. How does Jewish law approach a question that has never arisen before, that could never even have been considered before? Now, there are many examples of this. I'll just take one example for today, the question of surrogate pregnancy. So it is now possible for a woman to be able to have a child where one woman provides the genetic material and a different woman is the birth mother. The baby will actually come out of one woman but the genetic material will have come from a different mother. So the question is, which is the mother that is recognized according to Jewish law? Obviously, when a family has this child and they are living with this child, of course, this child is theirs. There's no question about that. But the question is from the point of Jewish law and concerning conversion. Because let's consider a scenario where you have a couple that wants a baby and or a single woman that wants a baby and one of the women, there's a surrogate pregnancy, one of the women is Jewish and the other woman is not Jewish. Is the baby Jewish? Now, this question only arose recently envisioning such a thing was only possible recently because of recent technological innovations. And there is nowhere in the Torah that mentions anything like this. Nowhere in the Talmud, nowhere in the Shulchan Aruch, nowhere in classical sources is there any approach to such an issue which was never envisioned before our age. How do we approach this question from the point of view of Jewish law? So there are three basic approaches in such a situation. The first is we look for a classical source in the Torah or the Talmud or another classical source that while it doesn't clearly address the subject, but we can creatively in the way that we understand it extrapolate from that source to relate to our question. There's an example of this in this week's Torah portion. So our parsha opens with the laws concerning childbirth. The bris, ritual circumcision for a baby boy on the eighth day, and then the ritual impurity followed by the ritual purity of the mother giving birth. The opening words of our Parsha read, Isha Kisazria Viyolda, a woman who conceives and gives birth. Rabbi Shlomo Goren was the Ashkenazi chief rabbi of Israel from 1972 to 1983, and he was one of the first halachic authorities to address this newly arisen technological question. And Rabbi Gorin utilized this verse to understand why does the Torah have to mention conception? 
The Torah is talking about laws that apply after birth. Why does the Torah add this word, Isha ki sazria v'yolda? Why doesn't the Torah just say, a woman who gives birth? By saying, a woman who conceives and gives birth, indicates, according to Rabbi Gorin, that the conception is what determines the identity, not the birth itself. The meeting of the cells, the providing of the genetic material, is what transfers the identity of the mother to the baby, even if the mother is not the one that physically gives birth to that baby. And therefore, according to Rabbi Gorin, the woman who provides the genetic connection is the one that Jewish law says is the halachic mother. If that woman is Jewish, then the baby is Jewish. If that woman is non-Jewish, then the baby is non-Jewish. Now, that's one proof brought by Rabbi Gorin from our Torah portion. And there are other such proofs on both sides of this debate. One of them, for example, comes from an analysis of a Midrashic comment about a supernatural switch of the fetus being carried by our matriarch Leah from male to female. And there are others. The problem with this first approach is that while these proofs are very creative and very clever, but there is no indication that this is actually what this source means to teach us. And since this scenario could not even have been envisioned at the time, it's hard to understand that a creative explanation of it will be usable for our question today. There's a second approach that some scholars take, and that is, our greatest Jewish scholars, filled with the sense of what the Torah wants, of what God teaches, develop a new rubric, a new approach, not based on any specific source, but based on that scholar's overall sense of what God wants from us in this circumstance. The problem with this is, who is great enough to do this with authority? Who is great enough that we may say that their view of the world is suffused to such an extent with what God wants that they can predict what God would want when there is a vacuum of information? And even if someone comes up with such a rubric, what level of consensus would be necessary for others to agree to this in order for it to become practical advice? The third approach is, we don't know. It's a doubt. We are not able to give a conclusive answer because 
our sources simply do not address that. So, in each case, we have to treat it as if it is a doubt and to act as if we are unsure. Because we are unsure. In this case, this third approach is actually the practical law that is expressed by almost all great halakhic authorities. In the case of a Jewish couple or a Jewish woman has a baby with a non-Jewish surrogate, so one of the women is the genetic mother and the other woman is the birth mother, different authorities use different reasonings and proofs, but virtually all authorities agree that regardless of where these creative and clever, clever proofs will take them, the question remains a suffix, a doubt. We do not have a final answer. And therefore, in the case where it's a Jewish woman that utilized a non-Jewish surrogate, it is necessary for that baby to have a conversion, me suffix, based on the possibility of the doubt. We treat it as if a doubt. We treat it as if it's a doubt. It is a suffix. Jewish law is able and must be able to address any issue existing or new. Sometimes the answer is to act based on we don't know a definitive answer. Sometimes that, in fact, is the answer that we use. My friends, I want to wish you a great day, and I look forward to seeing all of you soon in person.